You're listening to the Kerry Woodham Mornings Podcast from Newstalk ZB. As I've been saying, the clean-up post-cyclone Gabriel for many of us is uncharted territory. If you have a house at the bottom of your driveway, as Justine Wilson does, a house that wasn't there yesterday, doesn't belong to you and doesn't belong there, how do you get rid of it? How do you prioritise earth-moving equipment, house-moving trucks, tow trucks, volunteers with shovels when there are limited resources and so much need? Former Canterbury Earthquake Recovery Agency, Sarah, Sarah Head, Roger Sutton joins me now. And a very good morning to you, Roger. Good morning, Kerry. I was just struck by the the sound and the voice of Justine when she was saying, I, I just don't know what to do. I mean, you know, it's, she's got two cars, a van and a house and a driveway and mountains of silt and has no idea where to start. Was that similar to what happened after the earthquake? Yeah, I mean, after the earthquake, I was running the um, the electricity utility at Ryan yep. in Christchurch, and we were originally just almost overwhelmed with um, where to start, and a lot of other people were. So you just have to stop, stand back, and make a list of all the all the things you think you need to do. Sit around with a bunch of people who can then help you work out what are the real priorities. What are the things you can also do quickly that will have the most impact? A lot of people have been very frustrated at the fact that that their lines haven't been coming on and yet when they check online when they drive into town, they're being told that they're fine and they're finding that very frustrating. This is getting getting their power back on, Kerry? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, electricity systems, you can have, um, you know, the main line, the main line to an area might be up. But the main that, and that's what the that's what Unison have have said. They they know the main line of that particular sub that particular suburb or whatever is going. But that doesn't mean all the little bits of line aren't working. And when Unison say they think they've got it up, that's what they think. People then just need to go back to Unison and give them that that information. Now these jobs, what Unison are facing here is just an extraordinarily big job, and it's mm-hmm. going to take them a long time. And they're reporting resources from all over the country to help them. And I know I'm I work in the South Island where. We're happy to send out more people if they need them. Yeah, sounds like they do. So how how do you prioritise once the immediate response happens? What happens next? Who gets rid of houses at the bottom of driveways? Well, um, I, I guess the first thing, if you want to get rid of a house at the bottom of a driveway, you need to make sure that you've got the legal right to remove it. Um, and, and I know in the earthquakes, we actually got some of those decisions wrong. We thought we were demolishing... Uh, one house, we actually demolished a house we had no right to demolish because mm. you can do all those sorts of issues, you know, when there's been a big a big event like this, mm. are you certain this is the house that people are talking about? Then you're in this modern world of health and safety. Is the house full of asbestos? You can do all that other sort of crap oh. as well. Yeah. You get into the issue about whether the house has actually got a whole lot of pre- precious possessions in it that someone else still wants. All that is just really, really tricky. But the, the overall question about where do you start, mm. you start off by trying to pull, pull together information and a database of what's actually happened so you can work out what those priorities are. And in Christchurch, um, EQC had a relationship with a big engineering firm, Tonkin and Taylor, yeah. and they very quickly built a map of the city of where the worst damage was, um, and that allowed us to plan from there. So a central database that lots of people can put information into and then take information out of is really fundamental in an event like this. How do you do that when all the power and the mobiles have been out for more than a week? So you start off, you, you, you just start off with aerial mapping yep. of an area. 
Um, then you might overlay on that um, where all the power lines were, and yeah. then you might overlap um, where all the people lived. Then you might overlap, um, if you're really kind of, you go and o- try and overlap to how much energy people were using to try and work out which areas were most, were most intensively used. Um, you'd start you'd try drilling people's insurance records. You'd just pull together all the information, all the information you can. So in Christchurch, a lot of it was about the land damage. Yes. And we had all the different geotech engineers working across the, across the city, putting information into that database to try and work out which areas of the city we could then rebuild and which were so badly damaged, we're never going to get going again. Right. I mean, what are the other issues here, Kerry, is you have to be very careful. You don't run the whole event by what's on the front page of the paper or what's being talked on talkback. Yeah. Um, you know, in Christchurch, we started rebuilding the art gallery, I think, before there was anywhere um, in eastern Christchurch people who would play a, rugby, a game of rugby league at. Because the people who want um, art galleries rebuilt are much better at talking to mayors and city councillors than the people who play rugby league. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing about these sorts of events. There's so much to be done. You have to be very careful. You're not just doing, you're not just treating the people who speak the loudest first. Well, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. So they're still in cleanup mode right now. Should somebody be coordinating the the trucks that are available the, that, that can get on the roads? Um, if you can't get trucks there, alternative forms of transport, is it? the volunteers with shovels, who should be leading that operation? Well, I think to the greatest the greatest extent possible, you want locals leading it. Yep. Um, you want communities being given resources to go off and get things done. And so you may need some central organisation making sure the resources are getting to the places that really need it. But you also have to be honest and say, this is going to take a long, long time to get these things done. I mean, people talk about recovery not being a sprint, but being a marathon. Yeah. And I think I think they're longer than a marathon. I think either way I describe them as a really long adventure race because in adventure race you don't really know exactly the route you're going to take. You have to do it in a team. You have to sleep. Um, you have to decide that the route you're going down is actually unsuitable. You know, there's a bloody you've come to a bloody big cliff. Yeah. So these are really really long events, and you have to make sure you listen to the people. I mean, I. I tell a story about a year after the earthquake. I, I went in the paper when I had this bloody recovery job saying how well everything was going, you know, had all these great plans. A woman who lived nearby me wrote to me saying, Roger, you're full of rubbish. I'm still using a bucket for a toilet. What, what are you talking about? She can do all this great big stuff, but unless you're looking after people's basic human needs, people have got power, they've got water, they've got someone to go to the toilet, then you're not going to get there. You need to make sure you don't get lost in the, and you, 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 don't, you, you could get about these people who don't really have a voice. It's a really valid point. And also, just wanting something to be better doesn't make it so. Like being relentlessly optimistic sometimes doesn't help, I've found. You know? You... <laughs> no, it, no, it doesn't. I mean, Kerry, they also talk about, you know, build back better, and build back better is great, and we should be building that better, but. I remember going to Nepal after the earthquake mm. and I met the head of the Red Cross there and they had a build back better, you know, slogan as well. And he said, Roger, we just need to build back something for some of these people. <laughs> you know, and I mean, in Christchurch, we did things like, we did some things quite quickly, which were really successful. You know, a temporary rugby stadium that cost $35 million while the new one's going to cost $700 million. You know, a container mall. What are the things you can do quickly that meet communities' basic needs. 
know, should we be saying that we're going to give some sort of road into every community within, I don't know, a fortnight? Even if that, even that bridge and that road can only carry a ute or a farm bike, yeah. because anything is better than nothing. And sometimes we want to do things properly when people just want the most basic sort of needs met. And then they can start thinking about the full recovery. So basically this is triaging a, a damaged community and then, and then allowing for the more specialist care later. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I made the mistake initially in the um, after the Christchurch earthquake of not just getting the power back on to every school really quickly. She have a really simple message: the power is back on to every school. I should have just delegated that to someone who didn't live in Christchurch and said, "Look, whatever you need to do, I want the power back on to every school within within seventy two hours." So the need for leaders at times like this to delegate um, yeah. and make sure that jobs just get done because you've given it to someone else, just go and do it. Use whatever resources you need. That's a really, really important skill. Yeah, it sounds like you've had a lot of time for reflection on, you know, I mean, you were chucked into a job that had never existed before. And it sounds oh, and like Q, you've Q, spent I mean, time I, reflecting. I, 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 I did. I made lots of mistakes. I mean, I think you know, we made the mistake in the red zone of when someone sold us their red zone house, we went off and got it demolished. I think in retrospect, we should have kept a lot of those houses for the construction workers that came into the city. Mm-hmm. You know, we built a blueprint that was so grand and so beautiful for the central city. It's taken far too long. We would have been far better off with something more modest that got things that got things going. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many lessons from Christchurch that we need, we need we need to remember. But I mean, there are some really important differences between Christchurch and and this event, especially in the Hawkes Bay. You know, in Christchurch, if you lived on the minimum wage and you lived in a rented property. After the earthquake, you still had a bed, you still had a car, you still had, you still had plates and knives and forks. So even if you didn't have, you know, any contents insurance, you still had your basics. You probably still had a job. In this event, the people living on minimum wage, in many cases, have lost all their contents. They've lost their car, and many of them don't have jobs. So we need to be really careful. We think about those people at the bottom end of the heap because they don't have the same voice many of these other interests have at times like this. Really valid, valid statements and contribution. Thank you so much. Roger Sutton, former Sarah Chief Executive. For more from Kerry Woodham Mornings, listen live to News Talk ZB from 9am weekdays or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.